You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. I got a phone call from a friend of mine who works over at the ballpark. Okay. And he's somebody who I trust. He's somebody who sat down here at this bar and had a beer with me. He's been in my home before. I've known him for years. And he tells me they're making changes over at the ballpark. And he goes, they had this survey that Major League Baseball was doing of the fan bases all across Major League Baseball where the teams were not involved, where they didn't really tell the teams what they were doing. They took all the information of the consumers, of the fans that were at the ballpark with no influence of the individual teams and then reported month to month, this is how it's looking, how people feel about your team. And when the final results came in for the 2023 season, the White Sox came in 30th out of 30 teams in Major League Baseball for fan satisfaction. Behind even the Oakland A's fans who were in almost like pitchfork and torch riot mode last year. They were in open rebellion. Let's say it that way. The the Oakland A's fans were in open rebellion where if the owner would have walked out, he may have lost his life in one of those Game of Thrones, just horrific scenes where they ripped him limb from limb somewhere up the third baseline, right? If he would have walked out with his party, like his group, like his people, with a couple of guards... Everybody would have been destroyed by the mob. That's how bad it is in Oakland Coliseum. A terrible ballpark to begin with. He might have actually been carried away by the rats in Oakland Coliseum too, let's be fair. Correct. And that guy and his ballpark and his his customer service and, and, and the, the opinion of fans was better than the White Sox last year at guaranteed rate. This is a Major League Baseball voice of consumer VOC survey. And as a result, the White Sox are supposedly making a lot of changes. Like, for example, the restaurant that's attached, I can't remember the name of it, I think it's called White Sox Grill, that's attached to the ballpark, that bridge comes over, it's right there in the parking lot, up the third base line, that, that place, a different group will be managing it this year. And hours will change, hours of operation, and some other things. Hopefully, they'll change the stupid rule where you have to show a ticket to walk into the thing, but then you have to leave and then go show your ticket a second time even though you're already inside the ballpark and get checked again by security to get in there, even though they have a door sitting right there where you should freely be able to move in and out. Like they should just be checking the ticket right there. And then security should be making sure you're not sneaking out with silverware into the ballpark. I know it's a tough thing for the White Sox to handle after the shooting in the stadium last year, but it's something they should be able to handle. So maybe that's going to change as well, but I know they're changing management there. I know that everybody from the parking attendants, to the people at the gate have been basically told we have to do this differently because one of the biggest complaints is getting into the ballpark. And that's why the 100-level restrictions now are lifted. The idea that you have to have a 100-level ticket to go on the 100-level is going to be gone for this season, according to my source. And there'll be no longer this ridiculous line, this secondary line to get into the section. And it's about time because... Remember, this was created, this stupid rule that does not exist anywhere else in Major League Baseball was created because two hillbillies from a trailer park in Elsip got drunk, ran out on the baseball field, 
and beat up a first base coach who lost hearing in his ear or partial loss of hearing in his ear on television. And then the reaction was, we will never let 500 level people down there. And then when the pandemic hit, they wouldn't even let the 300 level people in there, even though they were paying more for their seat. They wouldn't even let them go down there. So you have this beautiful concourse and you restricted half the stadium from ever going and visiting that concourse. And it was a stupid idea. We've talked about it before. That's going away. So kudos to Major League Baseball. I find it funny that the White Sox couldn't figure this out on their own. It had to be Major League Baseball pointing out that people are dissatisfied with your team. Well, you know, that's Jerry for you, though, isn't it? I mean, what what about his actions? And I don't want to go and, and, and go ancient history over the last 40 years, but what about his actions towards fans makes you think that he really understands what we are concerned about? All you have to do is look at the stadium thing with the 78 and when he went down to Springfield and kind of the way he pitched it. You know, you have, you have people from, you have legislators, you have the governor coming back and saying, we, we just, he hasn't shown how this helps the state of Illinois. He said that like three times. The governor yeah. was like, I, I'm still waiting on somebody to explain why we would give him a billion dollars well, and we would get that billion dollars back. Like, well, how do we make money back on it? I love that. And you know, here's the thing. I put my tinfoil head on immediately and I think I'm not far off. I really, do, I don't. What's that? I think they were getting these results of this survey last summer. And I think that it has crafted in the brains of upper management who deals with this and with Jerry Reinsdorf. And I, this has nothing to do with the general manager. That's the guy running the baseball uh, field. But I'm talking about the peop- other people within that building have started to say, well, the fans are angry. It can't be us. We're going to have to move. Can't be us. It has to be the neighborhood. It can't be us. Right. It has to be the way the stadium is set up. It can't be us. We need a billion dollars. I really think after seeing that this survey happened all last year and, and hearing that these changes are coming from it. And again, I trust this person who told me this information. I really believe that they are using those results as another justification for the fact that we need to move out of Bridgeport. Well, and, and it's, it's not just that though. Okay. Jerry's whole thing with this is if you build it, they will come. He, he, he has not mentioned how, the stadium will impact positively the Chicago White Sox organization on the field product, right? He has not explained to anybody in Springfield how this is going to make you know, the city of Chicago better, how this is going to make the state of Illinois better. What Jerry is doing is he is still stuck in 1980s and early 1990s Cubs baseball, Chicago Cubs baseball, where the Tribune company made a ton of money as a media empire, used the Cubs as content to further that media empire, right? Didn't care about winning, right? Lovable losers. You could come in second as long as there was hope on the north side of Chicago. There were people filling the stands and spending money on Cubs gear and spending money on Cubs beer, right? That's what he's envisioning. And he's looking at Bridgeport going, well, that's not a party place. Okay, that's not that's not a location for people to come to. If I give us a location, everybody will flock here and love the White Sox because they will love the location. No, but I think it's even more sinister. I think the billionaire doesn't like being told that he's wrong and that he's a bad owner. And I think the billionaire looks at a survey like that and takes umbrage to it and says, well, then forget this neighborhood. I'll go find new fans. I really think that's how this guy thinks. Well, and that's entirely possible, too. That's why he's bad mouthing everybody that's his regular loyal fans. Because he, he's like, well, I'll just go get new fans. I'll go into that area. That area will be really pretty. I can go someplace else. I'll move someplace else, start a new life, find new fans that want to be with me. Forget those old fans. 
That's the Nashville thing, or that was the Florida no, thing think, back in the I day. I think the elitist in him thinks that if he goes to the 78, he'll start getting different people that'll show up there. I, I, I really, I think that the man is so warped. When, when I listen to how he speaks, when I see his proposals, when I see how he's acted over the last 40 years, I think he really looks at the rest of us as just a bunch of peons that are just stupid and we're oh, wrong. There's we're, no yeah. doubt about right. that. And so he's I a, think that if he goes into a neighborhood and he starts his own neighborhood, he'll get new fans. It's not the main motivator, but you can't tell me that it's not running through his head like, and then I'll get new fans too. And we'll leave this dingy little neighborhood over here and I'll have something bright and shiny, which remember JB, I love, I love the Pritzker comment. Like the pictures are really pretty. Doesn't really justify doing it, but they're very pretty pictures. They're very like, pretty pictures. I mean, yeah. he, he Jerry Reinsdorf is running out of places to go, and I don't think that he's going to get this thing. And he really, he really should not get it. You though should get down to Cork and Carry at the park in the shadow of the ballpark at Thirty Third and Princeton and register right now for a chance to go to Hawaii. Kona Brewing and Cork and Carry sending someone to Hawaii, and the only thing you have to do is register at one of their two locations. It's completely free, no purchase necessary. Of course, get there, enjoy a $5 Kona brew, but whatever you do, make sure you're registered at 33rd and Princeton in the shadow of the ballpark or the original location at 106th and Western. The drawing is on March the 15th. And then remember, pregame, postgame, in-game, award-winning burgers. It's all there. The party will be live all summer long. No matter what this team is, we're going to have fun at Cork and Carry at the park. See more at CorkandCarry.com. I want to get into some of the other stuff going on in camp. And there's a trade that's been made. Matthew Thompson dealt away. Remember, this is a guy that was picked up, I want to say, during the pandemic. It was during, I remember James Fox specifically. It might have been pre-pandemic, where, where James Fox specifically told us this was part of the whole go after long-term high school players and and start there. And they may be in the minors a little bit longer, but you hope that you get guys with high ceilings that either pan out or become something that you can deal while they're still in the development phase. And so I remember him being mentioned last year as, hey, watch out for this guy in spring training. And then I noticed that he wasn't one of the 15 possible starting pitchers that had a shot this year. So then he must have fallen out of favor a little bit. And I think, once again, we've seen another player that Chris Getz saw when he was watching over the minor leagues, but had no control over, who now he's like completely expendable, move on from him. And all I have to do is look at his baseball card, Ed, and see that Matthew Thompson put way too many guys on base. I don't think he ever had a, a, a season in the minor leagues where he didn't have a whip that was over 1.5 or an ERA that was almost six. And he may have shown an awful lot of potential, but at some point, the general manager goes, maybe I want to go with something else. So he goes and gets a lefty pitcher who's a little bit older, but I can look at the back of his baseball card and I can see that where he may struggle at a level, the next season when he gets back to that level, he does really well, then gets promoted, struggles at that level. The next season he comes back and he figures that level out, gets promoted. And now he's sitting in AAA. That's the kind of guy I think that Chris Getz wants. Have you progress down there or are you just a bunch of promises that's been the biggest problem with this team and it seems like he traded a guy that was a bunch of promises or hope that hadn't really shown you anything for a guy that at least adjusts when he goes from level to level and may turn out into something it's just prospect for prospect but that's what i saw well and not only that i mean in this particular instance too bailey horn was a white Sox prospect and he got traded for ryan tapera and now he's back that's correct that's right and now he gets yeah, him back so 
So he's, he's really, what he's doing too, is he's saying, here's a guy that, I don't know, maybe this guy's got potential. Maybe he doesn't. I, I, I don't, I don't see what I want to see out of this kid, but I remember Bailey Horn and I think we can use him. Yeah. It's like, he's, he's writing a past wrong a little bit. Yeah. Horn was, Horn was traded in the middle of the 21 season. That's when he was traded. He had been at a ball in Kannapolis and then also, and then he got promoted to Winston Salem and then he got traded to the Cubs and finished out the season at South Bend. Yeah. He was in South Bend. Yeah. yeah. And then he goes to Tennessee and South Bend uh, in yeah, 22. South Bend, then he promotes up because when he gets back to South Bend the next year in 22, his whip's like 0. .70. And, he, and they're like, they see him for five games. They're like, move this guy up the double A. And then he struggles a little bit in double A. And when he gets to Tennessee last season, his whip's like 0.88 after he gets six games and they're like, promote this guy again. And they promote him up. Like, I mean, like, so he's like one of those guys who, you know, gets to a level struggles a little bit like you normally would if you get to better competition, seems to figure it out. I mean, I can only go off of his baseball card the next time we get a guy like James Fox on or Elijah Evans or one of these other guys that covers the minors. Maybe they can give me a little bit more. But he's also, he's a left-handed reliever, which makes him a commodity, which also makes him somebody that even if his stats in the minors aren't great, they're still there's still things that you can look at with him. For example, is he throwing strikes? And, and you saw him actually in the, in the first game of spring training, if you got that far into the game, because at that point, yeah, but you know, he's a guy that even if his numbers look a little funky in the minors, if he is somebody that throws strikes, has stuff, can get right-handers out, can get left-handers out, he becomes a useful player for the White Sox to hold on to and shuttle back and forth this year. If he, you know, maybe he makes the bullpen, maybe he doesn't. And Matthew Thompson, by the other extreme, is if he's just going to be a starting pitcher and he is not showing that he can maintain as a starting pitcher, then you got to look at his stuff and figure out if he's going to make it as a reliever. And that could be what Chris Getz is seeing, too, is this guy's future has to be in the rotation and I don't like it. So maybe, you know, we move on from him and go get a useful piece that over the next few years, you know, and, and maybe beyond it becomes a guy that is just you run out there. Right. And, and you know, maybe this guy's nothing more than Tanner Banks, but. That's more useful than a guy that never makes it to the majors. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because you have to make rooms. Jesse Schultons is getting Tommy John. Remember, he's the guy that showed up last year at age 29 in the majors for the first time for the White Sox. Uh, went 1-9 and nine with a 5.29 earned run average in the rotation. It was not pretty. No, his FIP, was, his FIP was at 5.31. His WHIP was at 1.529. Uh, he was one of the guys mentioned as the 14 guys that had an opportunity but I never had him on my bingo card. Like, I never felt like, oh, yeah, he's, no, he's no, making he the was... rotation. I didn't even think he was going to probably, I didn't even think he'd be a like a bullpen piece. So it's a shame. I hope he gets better. But, um, you know, you feel for the guy that he's got to get Tommy John. But on the other hand, he's he's moved off the, uh, the 40 man to make room. He gets put on the 60 day IL so you can make room for Bailey Horn. And the idea that you've had to make room on your 40 man for Horn really makes you feel like the White Sox are watching Horn pitch against them. And they're like, yeah, we need this guy. And if he if he has that, he may make the team, you know. And I think I find it very interesting that they they were like, we want to spend a forty man roster spot with all this crush right now in spring training to get this guy in here. And and that's refreshing to me because it always felt like, really, over the last decade or so, the White Sox walked in with twenty six guys that were going to make the team anyway, and nobody really even had a chance to make it. You know, they, they never, yeah, you might be, you might be surprised by who takes the utility role. You might be surprised by who takes, 
you know, the last bullpen spot. You know, maybe somebody can beat out Matt Foster. Well, they're giving they're giving Mike Moustakis every opportunity to make this team. They got him playing at first oh, yeah. base. Do you see that play that he made uh, a couple days ago? He makes a play where he has to run backwards from first. And Gavin Sheets is in right field. If there was ever something that told you why the White Sox may pick Moustakis over Sheets, it felt like Moustakis had to run further than Sheets would have had to run to get to that ball, at least to the naked eye, me watching that replay. Okay, Sheets is running forward and off to the side towards the foul line, and Moustakis is running straight back from first base. And Moustakis covers the ground better and makes the play. And here's a guy who's older that I understand. I get it. I get it. You don't know what Gavin Sheets is going to turn into. But if the team has already decided he is what he is, which he may well be, I mean, how many at-bats do you need before you start to figure out what a guy is? Here's a guy who's hungry and doesn't want his Major League Baseball career to end, who's running back there and making the play. And that's a guy who could earn a spot if they really do. I, I'm sorry. I know everybody's like, oh, it's a, it's a lost season. And they, so they should just they should they shouldn't have any older guys on their team and they should be going young. But if they really believe what they keep saying about the fact that they want to be competitive this year and they want to change the culture and they want to turn it around quick. Watch out for Mike Moustakis, who's playing in multiple positions right now and getting a, and getting a look over at first base. They're sitting there saying to themselves, here's a guy we want to make sure that he could play a couple different positions. Let's see what he can do. And with that kind of an effort, again, there's a surprise. I love the depth and the way that they're basically saying, if we even have an inkling that a guy could be good for us, why don't we go get him? And that's how Bailey Horn ends up on the team this week. And that's why Mike Moustakis is in camp. And and you're right, you know, in terms of Gavin Sheets, and 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 I think as fans, we got to get over the idea that the Rick Hahn, Kenny Williams core is still looking at upswing, a lot of them. That's right, Gavin Sheets has 296 major league games under his belt, all right? And, and he's a 229 career hitter. The OPS is 690. He's not shown that he's a power hitter. I mean, 36 home runs in the majors isn't great. He only hit 39 homers in 370 games in the minors. I, so, you know, this idea that he is still going to develop into Adam Dunn or something like that, I just, it, it, it he very well may be, he is what he is. Well, I, you know, I, I wouldn't want him to develop into Adam Dunn. I never liked Adam Dunn. Adam Dunn was a terrible sighting. Okay, Adam Dunn on the Reds or the Nationals. Okay, How about that? on a different team than the White yeah. Sox. Okay, Adam Dunn, not in black and silver. Um yeah, you have this idea of 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 the promise of Gavin Sheets, just like people still cling to the idea that Johan Moncada could re- resume his 2018 form six years later. Um, you know, the, the idea that Michael Kopech is still a frontline starter, even though he's shown nothing to give you an idea that that's the case. He is doing the interview circuit, though. He's moving around. They Good really, for him. They really want you to believe in him. And I, again, show me. I think they, they, they want a bunch of other teams to believe in him, too. Right. Show me. That's that's yeah. my thing with him. And, and that's where we are with this camp is is really like, you know, Gavin Sheets, honestly, Gavin, you want to show that you're better than Mike Moustakis at Mike Moustakis's advanced age when he's no longer considered a viable starter in, in Major League Baseball. Uh, when he's no longer, you know, a star by any stretch and, and warrants only a minor league contract, you want to show you're better than this veteran, you better prove it. If you're, you know, if you're Bailey Horn and you just got traded to this team, you better show that you're better than the other left-handed relievers in camp and show that that you you warrant your 40-man roster spot and that you warrant Chris Getz's faith in bringing you back to the organization from once you came. So, I, you know, there's a lot of the this this idea that, 
we're rebuilding again. We got to go young and give all these young guys still a chance. I mean, really, honestly, when I when I break it down, I'm looking at yeah. You want to tell me Jordan Leisure needs a chance to try and show that he can close close games? I'm with you on that one. He got okay? a hold. He got a hold on uh, on Monday. He came yeah. in and he pitched. He pitched. They uh, uh, he had one strikeout. Pitched an inning. Kept it clean. Got a, got a hold. I know it's just spring training. That's the same game that Nestrini was in, where he had a really good two innings. I, right. I, he gave up that one triple, which may not have been the best uh, uh, defense behind him, but he, he he. I mean, like that's a guy that if he if he isn't giving up walks, watch out for him finding his way into the rotation. That that's a that's a guy that Michael Kopech needs to be concerned about because he's going for one of those spots. That's who you're looking at. You're, you, you, we need to adjust and start looking at at actual rookies, at actual minor league prospects, because the major league core of this team, there's a certain degree of they are what they are at this point. And Gavin Sheets, I'm sorry, I have no idea why Gavin Sheets is is meriting any conversation at this point because a career 229 hitter after 296 games who can't field, he doesn't have a place. On, on the White Sox roster. I, I don't understand why he would have a place on the right, White Sox roster. I think roster. the only argument that I've seen about it is the idea of, well, you know, he's still young, and what if all of a sudden he does something? Why would you give up on that when you already know what Moustakis is and it's a lost season? And I think my response to that is, I think the White Sox as an organization are done with the idea of we're just going to take extra losses waiting for one of these guys with potential to finally come around. We want to actually have a team that goes out there and has an opportunity to win games. And even though it's stupid, it's far-fetched, they really got no chance at their division. you got to be a professional baseball player and have earned a spot on the team. And that's a new way of looking at things. And I think that there's a there's a section of fan base that got so used to everything since the moment Chris Sale was traded almost a decade ago. And the idea was now we're in this rebuild and you just make all your decisions based upon the long term and the development of young players. They're confused by what's happening in this camp. But there's a reason why there's so many veterans in this camp, because they're not doing that type of build. They're not going to go fully young because they can't. They just can't feel the team that is all rookies and all prospects. I, I, I mean, yes, in theory, they could in some ways do it, but it's not worth it to them. OK, it's not worth it to rush Colton Montgomery up. It's not worth it to them to rush Brian Ramos if you don't feel like he's ready or Lenin Sosa if you don't feel like he's ready because that was a Rick Hahn-Kenny Williams move too. If you go back and look, and I, and I did this, and I don't have the numbers written down or anything like this, but you talk about teams that bring prospects to the major leagues, okay? And the White Sox have a surprising number of prospects, of first-round draft picks, second-round picks, draft picks that they brought to the major leagues, but they're all busts. Okay, a lot of them are guys that they brought up in, in, in the Kenny Williams regime. They brought them up. They saw what they could do. They couldn't do anything. And then they, they left them out to dry and, and, and had to move on from them. Carson Fulmer is a perfect example of that. You know, he was rushed to the majors and he was not ready to be a major league baseball player. And his career is screwed because he's never really had a chance to, to fully develop into anything. He was never given a chance to develop into a high leverage reliever or a starter. And I'm not a Carson Fulmer apologist, but no, but it's a it's a fair point because I mean, just recently, I want to say in the last week or so, we saw another contract that was bigger than what the White Sox have ever handed out. The Pirates with yet another another contract bigger than what the White Sox have ever handed out. They gave seventy seven million dollars to Mitch Keller and Mitch right. Keller's the the GM before the current one in there for Pittsburgh um, would bring him up and down and acted that way with that, him as a pitcher. And he would look like a lost thing. 
And when the and when the new general manager walked in, they're like, send him down and restart him. And then bring him around the way that they should have brought him around in the first place. And when they did that, look what he turned into. Okay. So it really does make a difference. And it and it does, you know, when you when you, you see the team moving on from prospects like Matthew Thompson, okay. It does make a difference if you have a general manager who is willing to let guys develop and see what they really have. Uh, you know, there's there's no shame in sitting there saying, let's say Dominic Fletcher, they decide he's really not ready to be the right fielder of this team. There's no shame in sending him down and letting him figure something out, okay? The, the Sox do this and have done this for so long where we, 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 as fans, have almost watched White Sox draft picks be treated the way Bulls draft picks or Bears draft picks are treated where the higher the draft pick, the more they're expected to immediately perform. And you see that with Garrett Crochet. You saw that with Chris Sale. And granted, it worked with Chris Sale. But you can't tell me Brian Anderson was ready in 2006. He wasn't. He was not ready to be the full-time center fielder. And it I think it cost him the playoffs that year in, in, a, in a lot of ways. You can't tell me that every guy that they have said, watch this guy, He's going to be something that they've brought up has worked out. And there's a first baseman on this team that, that we're still sitting here going, when is Andrew Vaughn going to show what, what we were told Andrew Vaughn was going to be when he was only given, he's given less than a hundred games in the minors to, to do anything. And he lost a season because of COVID that guy should not have been brought up when he was brought up. And so I'm not on board with the idea that, they ever need to do that again where it's let's see what all the young guys can do because that's not how major league baseball works no let's see what the young guys can do who are ready to show us and then you got to fill out the rest of that roster with major league talent even if it's a replacement level even if it's fringe guys even if it's you know a quad a bullpen you know just just to have guys out there but professional baseball players and then if you're an actual prospect show me what you can do and that's that's where the White Sox are, and welcome, you know, welcome to actually having some semblance of how a professional baseball team is supposed to work on the field. I think this is going to be very different, especially for people that are covering the team. You know, I think I think Scott Merkin is great for all the information he gives us. He's very gracious with his time, and he has a real finger on the pulse of what's going on with the team. But I do remember when he was on the show last time, him like, well, you know, you don't really make a lot of changes. You kind of know who you're going to be bringing with you. I think that's true for their their starting nine almost on the field. And it's true for three pitchers, maybe, out of the five on the rotation thing. But there's a lot of questions with who's going to be in the bullpen, a lot of questions as to who's going to fill out that bench, and a lot of questions as to who's in the back end of that rotation. There's lots of things. And I think it's going to be surprising to some who are used to the way the White Sox used to do business when they see certain names just kind of be, well, why would they get rid of that guy? They had control over him. Why would they move that guy down? He's the younger version. Why would they go with this guy? I think we're going to see some some change here. I think we're going to see some things that are very different. Socks in the Basement is trying to support small business, and that's why we have hooked up with Vouch and created a Vouch store. Go to SocksInTheBasement.com or use a link inside the show notes if you're using a podcast player that provides links inside of the show notes. And check out our Vouch Store. Some of the featured products right now, a veteran-owned and operated coffee company that benefits disabled veterans. Check out the premium coffee from Split Rock Coffee. And if you ever wanted to be your own bartender, Camp Craft Cocktails 
has the setup for you. See all the products at SocksInTheBasement.com in our store. Help out Socks in the Basement, help out small business, help out yourself with something cool. I enjoy the fact that the Yankees are still smarting from the fact that Chris Getz wouldn't trade him Dylan Cease for peanuts. Uh, USA Today, Bob Nightingale, who was always a mouthpiece, it felt like for Kenny Williams and possibly for Jerry Reinsdorf directly, uh, had a blurb in his uh, in his last thing or whatever he put out. It was like on the 25th of February because I marked this here. And he was going through all the things going on around Major League Baseball. right after Cody Bellinger signed with the Cubs. And he had a blurb that said that the New York Yankees would prefer to trade for Chicago White Sox ace Dylan Cease instead of signing free agent Blake Snell, who's still out there. But they are at a standstill with the White Sox. They refuse to part with top outfield prospect Spencer Jones in any package for Snell, while the White Sox are insisting on him. I love it. And you know, when you see that blurb, that's coming from the Yankees. They're so frustrated. They're complaining about it. And I love the fact that the general manager is saying, no, nope, this is what he's worth. If you don't think that you, if you don't want to give a Spencer Jones, you better, you better really make up for it somewhere else. You better give me a better package. I love that he's holding out for them because that, what that shows is that Getz is not going to get pushed around. He's going to sit there and say, well, then I'll just have him start opening day. I'll wait for somebody else to pay the price. And here's the Yankees. They're in camp and they don't want to pay Blake Snell. They, in fact, it goes on to say they're not going to consider a short-term deal with Snell or any early opt-outs, which is what Boris was able to get with the Bellinger thing. And they've offered a five-year, $150 million contract for Snell, but there is no counteroffer. And if the Yankees sign Snell, they get taxed at 110% because of the luxury tax while losing out on two draft picks. They want Dylan C so bad. And Chris Getz is smart enough to actually see, well, if you want him, you better pay for him. And if they don't pay, I'm fine with it. I'm still fine with it. I would rather walk away from the table than give away a guy like Dylan Cease. No doubt about it. And and yeah, it, the, to hear the Yankees whining, you know. There's some whining. That's whining through Bob yeah. Nightingale. That's how I read that. Chris won't play nice with us. He won't give us, he won't share his these best toys. Teams, these teams in the Midwest, these teams in between California and the East Coast are supposed to just give us what we want. Don't they, right. don't they listen to John Heyman talk about it on MLB Tonight? Don't they hear all the people that we give, like, you know, first pick at the buffet telling them they should do it? Don't they hear all these national people telling them that they should do it? I mean, I've been waiting for years for a guy who would sit there and say we're just as valuable as the Yankees. Like, I know we're not as good as them. I know we don't have the payroll, and I know we don't have as good of an owner, and I know we've got a lot of shortcomings. But, you know, I, I my uncle... And I think my dad has done it too. I don't know who came up with it first, but they always had this thing like when they would look at a player, is it good enough to be on the Yankees? That's just how they would look at things, right? Like that's the class organization. And the White Sox always sell themselves short as like some, you know, little stepbrother that gets kicked around and would succumb to a deal because that's the best the Yankees would give them. And I love the fact that Getz is like, you know, I envision Chris Getz. I know it's crazy. Just standing there, two middle fingers in the air saying, nope. I love it. I love it. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.